For the purpose of efficient discussion, the following episode of Fred Watch uses the word queer to describe and encompass non-heterosexual, non-heteronormative identifying, and cisgendered individuals and communities. It is by no means used to homogenize the diverse LGBTQIA community in a contemporary or retrospective manner. Certain language and terminologies are used by our critics in the context of when the film being reviewed was made, as well as when its narrative is set. Warning. Spoilers ahead. He thinks it's so easy. Just look them in the eyes and say, Mom, Dad, I'm... This is my boyfriend. Good evening and welcome to television. Hey. hey! Whoa! I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. And welcome to a special episode where we commemorate Pride Month with Pixar's first film to feature a queer protagonist. It's Stephen Clay Hunter's animated short, Out. Please explain. As Greg, Kyle McDaniel, and his boyfriend Manuel, Caleb Cabrera, pack his belongings to move house, Manuel encourages a reluctant Greg to come out to his parents, who show up unexpectedly to help. Trying to conceal his relationship with Manuel, Greg casually wishes that he were a dog. So, when a mystic cat instills magic in the collar of Greg's dog Jim, canine and owner swap bodies. Written and directed by Stephen Clay Hunter, Out marked the seventh film in Pixar's Spark Shorts program, in which the studio's employees are given six months and limited budgets to develop animated short films to tell the stories they want to tell. But Philip, did you feel a spark for Out? This made me so angry. I mean, (laughs) the nerve of them, the absolute nerve to have a cat... (laughs) <laughs> just such a just such a horrible nasty animal to be the savior to be the no i'm obviously kidding this was beautiful <laughs> i was gonna say philip you better be kidding because you know how i feel about felines and it was one of the most offensive things you've ever said to me my friend it's more cat <laughs> propaganda against dogs they make the dogs look like the idiots it's just it's the cat agenda it's the cat agenda <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, absolutely loved this short piece. It's heartwarming. It was uh, succinct, which is always nice. It's very difficult to get a message out in eight minutes. Mm. Absolutely beautiful um, little piece of work. And yeah, definitely an amazing story that needs more more of them to be told, obviously. Yeah, well, in terms of the story itself, I suppose we've got an unconventional coming out story with quite a number of story conventions, (laughs) really. Uh, You know, uh, we've, we've got the, the framework of this mystical cat and dog, I suppose these spirit animals (laughs) to to the queer community, (laughs) guardian angels, fur babies. uh, You know, I I guess there is a, a a traditional uh, loving connection between queer people and animals as well, I suppose. And yeah, and this cat and dog frame this story by being the encouragement that Greg needs to come out to his parents or probably not even encouragement, the push (laughs) that he needs. Uh, One thing that I particularly like about this film is that it begins with the text based on a true story. 
Mm. So that puts our mind in to a certain frame. And very early on, <laughs> we're introduced to a cat and a dog who descend from the queer heavens <laughs> on a rainbow <laughs> to help Greg and Manuel out so to speak what did you think about about i suppose in terms of a narrative context we'll get to the characters a bit later mm-hmm. but the role that uh, you know our our cat and dog play in terms of this narration first and foremost it is very pixar mm. it is very a very pixar thing to sort of play with that sort of thing especially saying based on a true story and then having all this magic and mm. stuff like that but it is very Pixar way of doing things and I think it was it was it was quite nice it, it made the whole thing feel that little bit more magical feel that little bit more intriguing again if you sort of thought about it and and you made it more documentary style and just sort of you got rid of all the dog bits and all that sort of stuff mm. then it'd be a nice little story but you wouldn't be drawn in like the way that only Pixar can do yeah, I think they make it very accessible Yeah, that's as well. It. We feel comfortable and we feel safe because a lot of people do have pets, either a cat, a dog, and yep. a lot of people actually have both. You know, we, we're safe with our pets. And there's something quite lovely about having the idea that, you know, mystical and magical cat and dog look after you. Mm. You know, they, they, they have your back. There is something quite lovely about that but yeah again i think it just makes it puts us in a in a safe space because the circumstance that particularly greg is in is Mm. not traditionally a safe circumstance yeah there's a lot of you know the stakes are high for him as it has been for for queer people throughout history and remains Mm. so Uh, and so i feel like that there's an automatic comfort Mm. By having a mystical cat and dog, it makes it a little bit whimsical. And again, we pair it with based on a true story. I just, I feel like there's a psych, the psychology of both of those smashing together yeah. uh, is, for <laughs> lack of a better word, magical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I actually quite enjoy that. You know, I didn't feel cheated or I didn't feel like, you know, oh, the joke's on me, for example, for, I guess, believing it, really. <laughs> I guess, I'm, yeah. you know, there's a, it, it, it's so uh, wonderfully whimsical that there's an element of it where you kind of just really believe this, I, I suppose, um, in every element. Uh, you know, I'm sure uh, there are themes and, and circumstances that are very true from our writer-director, but, you know, I, I want to believe it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would also, just love to believe it all. I also like that um, they use the animals to then transform, you know, do the body swap of Greg and his dog. mm you then later see the mother speaking to the dog and opening up her truths. Yeah. I think it is that sort of we have this idea with pets that we can tell our pets things we can't tell each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so oh. it's almost like these mystical animals know this. And so mm. that's why they're setting up this, you know, uh, scenario as it were. Yeah, and you're right, we find such comfort in pets, like I know Mm. I do with my pet cat, Gypsy, you know, she's easily one of my best friends and best cuddle buddy in history. Right here, Wayne. (laughs) I know you are, I know you are. (laughs) Um, So, you know, but 
there is that, and I know that there is studies done about how people with pets are mentally and physically healthier. Elderly people who have pets have a better quality of life and live longer as well. Like there are so many benefits. And again, we now add almost like a spiritual element here. Yeah. Because it is about cleansing your soul, I suppose. Greg does it and the mother does it as well. We're going to talk about that really powerful scene a little bit later because for me that's quite a highlight and really important. But yeah, there it's I guess at its core it is also a story convention because it's so relatable for yeah, us well, to confide in our faux babies. One of the things that I think gives us a bit of insight because yeah, we've only got, you know, 8 or 9 minutes with this with this family here. But there's lots of insights into them. Mm. Uh, so we know that Greg lives in you know, a suburban area. His parents are close by. And he's really excited to move to the city with Manuel. Mm. And whilst you sense that he is quite close with his parents, the burden of being closeted is so great that he's actually excited that his parents will never visit. (laughs) So he doesn't have to hide the photos uh, and and paraphernalia uh, relating to queer culture from them when they do visit. So there is that sense about how, you know, about finding one's family and one's communities. So it Mm. adds another layer to family. We've got the traditional family here with Greg, mum, dad, And then we've got the family that he finds, Manuel, Jim, and then the broader community that he will go to, which will be more progressive Mm. and more accepting of queer people and queer couples, which is in the city. It's, I guess, I suppose, links to that traditional trope or thought about people who come from small towns and move to big cities it's so that they can blend in and not stand out. Mm. And just like how it is people who move from big cities or even the suburbs, uh, you know, a built-up area who might move to the country or rural areas because mm. they're escaping something. So it's one of, I suppose, multiple references and underlying themes about transitioning or moving or going from one space to another or more significantly, because we do have body swapping here, alternative perspectives Mm. and experiencing alternative perspectives and lives as well. It says a lot about about a filmmaker and a Mm. storyteller who, in just a a line that's kind of thrown away as Greg goes to answer the door, he goes, oh, you know, they'll never visit, they rarely visit. One can read so much about him and his circumstance as well. Yeah, I think it's a really clever way to use an established trope because there's so much weight to it. Um, so I, I, I did I did like that they, they threw that in there. We learn a lot as well about Greg specifically through the circumstance that he is in, in that he does have, I suppose, a conservative or traditional upbringing, not because he finds coming out hard. I think that coming out is always hard regardless of the circumstances that you are raised in, but also how his parents are with him. So, you know, I suppose in terms of learning more about the backstories of these characters and the characters themselves, Phil, what was your first impression of Greg's mum and dad when he answers (laughs) the door there? Definitely get that initial hit of yeah um not even conservative in that sort of 
you know, oh, they're, they're, they're coming out, uh, you know, waving a Bible only rubbish. But <laughs> you, you do get that sort of feeling of homely, small mm. town, you know, the, the father's sort of big lumberjack style, very quiet, very, hi, Dad, how you doing? Nods. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the mother is that, you know, overbearing, you know, I made your favourite, I'm going to go in the kitchen. <laughs> you know. Hello, Leslie. And, um, and <laughs> Leslie's and, Philip's mother for those playing at home. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they do have... You do make that assumption hmm. that it's going to be a, you know, very traditional, very Anglo-Christian background. Hmm. You know, we make the assumption. Also, we make that assumption through uh, Greg's own fears. Yeah. Why would you be scared of coming out to your folks if there was not a reason to be so? You you know best, so mm. they must have said plenty of stuff about, you know, uh, the right way to be and all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a problem, theoretically. Well, uh, I feel like, and I almost feel like that Greg's parents probably were never overtly homophobic or prejudiced or discriminatory against queer people. Mm. However, for the level of anxiety that Greg feels, because he goes to extremes, and this is just over one picture, <laughs> right? But admittedly, that picture does say a lot. Yeah. That his parents then would have never been so openly supportive or they would have never been open to discussions about queer politics or, and I'm not saying wave the rainbow flag or anything like that, but it's almost like this middle ground where you don't say anything completely against queer people, but you don't really say anything pro the cause of queer people and equality. (laughs) Talking about maybe their religious upbringings and you're, you know, we are assuming a lot. There's a, lot. you know, there, and, and I suppose, you know, an audience member can really just take on their own histories and funnel that through Greg, regardless of their sexual orientation, because we all, you know, like to link ourselves and relate to characters, uh, even if their lives as depicted are totally different to ours, we want to connect with them because well, that's how we are on their side more than anything, I suppose. Yeah. But also Manuel. So Manuel himself looks like he comes from South America or Latin America, which is strongly Christian Catholic. Yeah. So Manuel has his own story. It doesn't really come across as though maybe he grew up with English being his first language. Mm. I sense that Manuel would have grown up in a much more conservative space than Greg has. I could possibly imagine that maybe Manuel's parents don't live in the United States. Mm. I could draw that Manuel has gone through the process himself, knows that it's difficult, yeah, but also knows that at least from his perspective, it is necessary yeah, for them to be themselves and for them to be happy. It yeah. is necessary. Because who wants to be removing photos from the wall and taking things away whenever someone comes to visit? Yeah, that's your and, home. And that's being, your space. And being scared that you've forgotten something or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So in terms of 
our leading couple, Greg and Manuel. Um, I love the fact that they are an interracial couple. I think yeah. that that's, that that is beautiful. It's showing a lot of diversity. And I do want to also say the fact that Greg uh, has red hair. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah. it's it's just things like that. It's kind of it's like, like that, yeah. yeah, because we have our perceptions of masculinities and mm. what is beautiful and what makes a man. Yeah. And what I love about Greg and Manuel is that they encompass the beauty of masculine and feminine traits mm. as individuals and as a couple. Like they feel like real people to me. Mm. Yeah, what were your thoughts on them, mate? Yeah, definitely. I I've always found it interesting that you know Manuel was the one who was very come on, let's just do it, just have mm. it sort of thing. Because because of those exact things that you've sort of said, we get the assumption that he's gone through this. Yet again, our our predetermined pre prejudgments sort of make us go, well, hang on, aren't, you know, people of colour, isn't it meant to be harder for them because mm. of deep-rooted traditions, etc. Yet we do feel, especially by the end of the, the, the short, that, yeah, that he's probably gone through all this, it's been a bit tough, but he survived and he's lived and, mm. you know. We don't even know their story. Maybe he's living in America now because he had to go. Absolutely. You, you just never know. And you do sense that perhaps Greg has been there for Manuel through a process. And it's mm. Manuel really enforcing or, or, or returning uh, this generosity and this mm. love and compassion. It could also be that Manuel has brought his baggage to Greg. Mm. And Greg accepts him and loves him for it. It you know, reminds me of, of one of my favourite lines in the musical Rent, where one of the characters says, I'm looking for baggage that goes with mine. And you yeah. do sense that the trajectory, the stories aren't too dissimilar. And I think that's also why a lot of queer people, in certain aspects at least, do have an underlying bond. Because regardless of how loving or accepting your parents are, there is always that initial element of fear that you will yeah. be rejected, that you will be disowned, you will be pushed aside and forgotten. Mm. The very moment you utter those words. Mm. And I do sense Greg's fear it's depicted so beautifully in the way he's performed and the way he's animated as yes. well. Yes. And I think that those emotions transcend so nicely when he swaps bodies with Jim, yes. <laughs> the dog. One thing that I found fascinating about Jim is that um, a gorgeous, gorgeous pup. But Jim is also female. Yes. Which... I thought was quite a lovely touch that we've got some gender fluidity with the dog by her having a traditionally male name of Jim. Um, Can and I, I add also a slightly extra layer to that though, quickly. Please do. The dog is female. Mm. Yet when uh, Greg inhabits her body, mm. when he goes to urinate, 
mm-hmm. cuts his leg like a male dog would have. Yes, I noticed this too. I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> I do notice this. But also, it's like the mother doesn't think anything of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do love that because Greg is still clearly... Uh, you know, male and has these these instincts. It's 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 a true um yeah, it's a true swap uh, yeah. of, of of bodies, but you know the mentalities are still there. The way that the puddle is formed is quite interesting, but I'm not an animal specialist or a vet, so I don't particularly want to focus too much on the puddle that Jim slash Greg leaves behind. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love the playfulness of Jim. Uh, just as Jim as herself and Greg as Jim, if you will. But we, we did talk about the other animals in this story, our mystic cat and dog. Yes. A bit sassy. <laughs> <laughs> that cat's in control. <laughs> yeah. So the cat's official name is Gigi. Um yeah. Yeah, and uh, we don't know the pup's name because, you know, when when a cat's in the room, no one else matters. (laughs) But there's there's something gorgeous about their interactions. They're obviously loving friends or even partners, I suppose. Hey, why not? (laughs) They're mystic, you know. Uh, Love is love. But, um, you know, Gigi is completely in control. And I love that the dog is this gorgeous butch character and is crying at the end because what they've seen unfold is just so lovely and beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love them as personalities. And I like the fact that they just frame the story. It's not like that they interfere throughout to comment or anything like that. As you said before, Philip, the film is very succinct. Like, it is so tight. It is so well written yes. that it doesn't need to be flashy in sort of any way at all you know it, it gets on telling the story that it needs to tell mm. and it knows the role of of Gigi and and their friend um the big pup to do to, to do what they need to do they serve yeah. the purpose so well yeah. uh, but i but i really like them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um in terms of aesthetics uh, this film is just so good looking it's so oh, yeah. beautiful. Uh, one of the things when really like looking at it, it just reminds me of the type of illustrations you, you find in a children's picture storybook. Yes. Yeah, I found that quite... I found it so lovely to look at. I found that it was vibrant but still subtle. Again, yeah. we, we, we're on planet Earth here. We know this world. Yes. You know, yes. It, it, it reiterates the, the reality and the relatability mm. of everything about this world but i i just actually thought the animation was so beautiful in this very unique yeah definitely and again i think it's on brand for pixar pixar do these beautiful worlds Mm. i would be like i love pixar movies but i would be okay if pixar turned around and said look we're just going to do weekly shorts on youtube from now on yeah Pay pay us money to do that please i'd be more than happy to yeah. see this sort of beauty once a week. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Especially when they're telling such strong stories as this. And I think... I, I didn't realise... Sorry to just go on with that quickly, though. I didn't mm. realise that this was a six-month project. Only, you know, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, this, uh, spark shorts. I yeah. didn't realise that's what this was part of, or that that even existed. I, I just sort of assumed this was at the front of some movie that I haven't seen yet. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So it's absolutely beautiful to have a a, a producer uh, to allow their animators and writers, etc., to have that freedom, you know, have that time put aside to go, hey, yeah, look, go for it. Let, let's do our big stuff, but also have a bit of fun. Mm. Tell the stories you want to tell. Yeah, and they obviously would have gone through the, the process of, of pitching and, and character yeah, design yeah. and all of this before getting the green light because at the end of the day, money is money. Mm. The Pixar yeah. brand is on it. That Pixar brand is so strong. Oh, and... Yeah. Also, now that it is intertwined with Disney, mm. you've got a reputation. So the fact that Pixar really pushed this through, and look, personally, I feel like no other animation studio would have done it beside Pixar. Yeah. It's just something so gorgeous. Pixar and- reminds me of early Google in that mm. sense that, you know, Google early on, their, their mission statement was uh, the first words were never be evil. Uh, hmm. Which we could argue to the cows now, but, <laughs> yeah, but um, they they used to allow their designers and, and programmers and stuff that say right, you know, you got all, all you got to get all these jobs done. But once you sort of done them, instead of having a nine to five day, it's like you've got from nine to five to get this work done. If you finish at ten o'clock, then guess what? You can clock out or. You can use uh, our resources to work on your own projects. Mm. And that's where a lot of awesome innovation came from. Well, this is the thing. Like, people in this industry are hired because of their creativity. Yes. They're hired because of the way their beautiful minds think and work. And. Oh, absolutely. And of course, you know, when you're an animator and so forth, you're bringing to life someone else's vision and you're under their direction and guidance because there has to be consistency and so forth. But you're still bringing in your perspective and your creativity to, to that project. So to be given the opportunity to tell a story with the backing of a studio, with the budget, with a team, is absolutely gorgeous. Like oh, yeah. this is, and this is where like the magic of storytelling really happens because someone at the top of the food chain may not have this perspective or have this idea, but they're still giving somebody the respect and the trust to tell a story. And I think one of the things that really stand out with out is how strong a story it is. And again, this is on brand for Pixar, so I can see why they gave it the green light. I'd love to just focus on one of the scenes in this film. And that's the scene that I guess the the, the highest amount of tension occurs. Mm. And that's when Greg, as Jim, bites his mother when she goes to pick up the framed photo. And, you know, she has a physical pain from the bite and goes outside. But it's really also a reflection of the internal pain she's feeling. Yes. So she goes outside, you know, rubbing her hand. Greg, as Jim, approaches her shamefully. I love the emotions Mm. on Jim's face at that point. The mother confesses her pain. She's really sad that Greg's moving far away. All she wants for him is to be happy. And this is the moment 
that, as you were talking about before, Philip, that confession, that bearing the soul mm. to, to, to our furry friends, that she knows he is gay. Mm. And gay is never said in this film. Yes, that is interesting. Yeah. So the word gay is never said because maybe we don't need a label. Yeah, yeah. But she does, you know, say that she wants him to be happy and and find someone and and specifies that somebody would be male. Mm. And we see the, the look on Jim's face because Greg is so relieved now. This is really significant because she's protecting him, essentially, from the coming out process as best Mm. she can. Because the process isn't simply uttering the words, I'm gay, or whatever label, if you choose to have a label, or are comfortable with a label, put upon yourself. She's protecting him from having to say that because of the anxiety and the nerves and pain that come along with expressing this element of you. So her maternal instincts are there always. She just Mm. hasn't been able to articulate it Mm. to Greg because it's difficult. Yeah, you you even have that moment where she's sort of in anger, like, I wish he'd just, or I wish I could just say Mm. whatever she says. And you have that moment where she realises that it doesn't matter how much hurt and anxiety this is causing, it's not her place to out him as such. Absolutely. But what is really interesting, I find as well, is that we see the burden of heteronormativity in this scene. And we normally see that through queer characters, but we are seeing it here from a heterosexual's point of view. Because, as we sort of touched upon earlier... Clearly for them to be okay, because she's okay, dad's okay, they would have had to have have had this conversation. For her to have these emotions and to express this, she's not just thinking this by herself. She's discussed this with dad. Had to. So, like we were saying earlier, they're not homophobic. Mm. They're, they're not Bible bashers or, or Torah bashers or <laughs> whatever faith they, they belong to, right? But again, they were probably never overly enthusiastic or supportive or engaged in terms of queer politics or queer culture. Yeah. And look, that's fine, really. However, it's problematic now because your son is gay. <laughs> that's, it, that's it. Beforehand, yeah. it was just almost a non-issue. No. No one they knew was affected by it. Or... No. And this is the thing as well, because heterosexual parents, whether they know it or not, whether they realize it or not, and I know this is a sweeping generalization, but I will make it because I'm speaking historically speaking, and I'm also speaking in the context of this film. Yes. Heterosexual parents raise their children in a heteronormative manner. mm and generally speaking, in a gender binary manner as well. Yep. So, whilst mom and dad are loving of Greg, they are supportive of him and only want him to be happy, which really, let's face it, is, is, is the bare essentials of what you would hope your parents wish for you. <laughs> they have made this situation the way it is themselves. And she's feeling that burden now. Mm. Because... She's protecting him from the potential 
outcome of coming out. Mm. And by no means is there any malice from the parents in the yeah. way that they've raised Greg or, or, or the way they interact with him. I'm not saying that at all because it's almost like an autopilot, isn't it? You know, yeah. these, these, this is how we are and these are the expectations and this is what culture says and this is what society says and, and this is what the media says. So, like, we get it. So it's a lot of weight and a lot of burden is put upon her and she's starting to feel it. So she empathizes with her son in this moment because, like you said, Phil, it's not her place to out him. Yes. Yeah. And how frustrating is that, that all she wants to do is say, I know and I love you, and I yeah. do not care. <laughs> but she can't, mm. because it's his process to go through. And what's quite brave about this is that the whole process of coming out is about power between heterosexual and non-heterosexual people. And I don't necessarily think that this power is really acknowledged. But she's now also feeling the ramifications of the power she has possessed, I suppose, because queer people only come out because heterosexual people or non-queer people demand it. Mm. And I'm not saying they're out there with placards demanding it like it's a witch hunt or anything like that, but it's ingrained in our society. It's ingrained in our culture. Imagine if coming out was not a thing. Imagine if it was no issue that Greg brought Manuel home one day to visit his folks. Mm. But it clearly is an issue because of the culture and society that these people are in. Mm. So it's interesting because I don't really think I've ever seen or have rarely seen that burden, that weight, so heavily felt by a heterosexual person. Mm. So just as Greg has wished that he had a dog's life because it would be easier and finds not so easy, it's almost like mum has taken on the weight of the world as well. Mm. It's so beautifully done and it's so well constructed. It's so brilliantly acted. Everything about that whole scene is absolute perfection to Mm. me. Yeah, Phil, did you have any sort of more thoughts about that? I've always, and to be honest, just the simple act of listening to you explain the way you have has changed my mind, but I will just throw out here for Hmm. context reasons. I've always struggled with this idea. Basically, if you looked at this from a 2D level, from from Hmm. just from a very shallow viewing, Hmm. essentially what is happening is that a man is worried about coming out to what ultimately ends up being parents that are loving and supportive. And you sort of head back and you have that little bit. And I know this was my gut reaction the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Or, or first time I thought about it from a very shallow viewpoint, though. But just like, it's like, why do we keep seeing this narrative of people who are scared to come out when... It's almost like you get that hindsight of, oh, he had nothing to worry about. Mm. But you're right. Like what you've been saying here, that it's because it is so ingrained and it is so... It's almost like, like like you've said, the default is heteronormative. Mm. 
in society. Therefore, if you're going to be out of that, you better be damn sure that your family will be supportive or, or hell's mm. going to break. And you have this con- continued uh, perpetuation of that, that, that negative implication. Mm. And yeah, I do think this is, it's really nice how they go about showing that there is the two sides of this story that yes, while he's scared to come out, the parents are scared that he won't. Are yeah. scared that he won't trust them enough for mm. you know Because it's detrimental that, to him if he doesn't in this context. He's moving to the city just to get away from them. Yeah. You know? Uh, he can't be himself around them. Mm. And it 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 is interesting because really for the first time in history we're in a point where the world can have these conversations. Mm. I mean, I know, you know, you, you have your 17 and 1800s romantic eras and all that. <laughs> there, there's discussion to be had around the idea of homosexuality in the uh, late 17, early 1800s. But that discussion was only for the rich, only for mm. those who could afford to have the, the, the privilege, so the white rich who mm. had the, could afford to have the privilege of being something other. If you're working class, there was essentially no homosexual working class. Not that people didn't have those feelings, but because life was is so short to begin with that you didn't have time to think of that, if mm. that makes sense. Of course. I mean, and also whilst, you know, the upper class or the um, aristocracy, you, you did have these conversations, it was still dangerous territory. Oh, definitely. You know, we only need to see the what happened with Oscar Wilde. Yes. Uh, you know, well, a celebrity why, in his day, you know. As a quick side note, that is also why I say specifically early 1800s because mm. uh, and this is just from some stuff I've actually been listening to from Stephen Fry he he does a podcast about Victorian uh, the Victorian era mm. and it's called Victorian Secrets right very very nice podcast for anyone who wants to listen to it but he actually talks about homosexuality in the 1800s in the Victorian era and how it was almost not accepted like we know it today but it was an accepted secret mm. in the sense of so long as you you know you, you don't make, cause a scene, don't ask, don't tell, yeah. essentially. Mm. And it wasn't until the later 1800s that people started really getting this Puritan view back where it became an issue, became a problem. Mm. That's really, that's really, uh, this is, you know, me skimming over a hell of a lot of detail (laughs) to try to get back to my point here, which is that it's only been recently that we've gotten to a point in history where we can, the lay person can turn around and say, hey, I've got these other feelings, I've got these other thoughts, without it being detrimental to a survival mode, almost. Yeah. If if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, you know, I think that queer history, queer politics and queer culture is is something really fascinating and it's mm. it's rich and it's it goes a long way back then, you know. A lot of people I guess realize it goes back to the dawn of time, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> really. I do like the the flashes of of queer culture 
in this film. They're used for humour and they're uh, used, I guess, also to, to, to emphasise, to, to, to give these, the, these boys, to give Greg and Manuel uh, more depth. That they're not, which is quite common for same-sex couples in film and TV, especially aimed at a young audience, to make them sexless, if you like. Mm. But that glittery rainbow is is front and centre. <laughs> <laughs> we also have uh, house music playing, sort of like a nightclub, when Greg and Jim swap bodies. Mm-hmm. And then what's really cute is the after credits scene, yeah. <laughs> where uh, Greg's mum and dad are listening to that music on the radio and really enjoying it. It's a nice little touch, and it's a note that they are fully accepting yes. of Greg and Manuel. Uh, if you know the the, the closing scene of um, of dad, you know, really embracing yeah. uh, Manuel didn't tell you enough. It means that it's just not on a superficial level. They're embracing of the beautiful culture that is queer culture as well. It's yeah. almost like their own awakening. Mum especially seems to enjoy it and it does not surprise me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the gags that I thought was really gorgeous was that gay calendar. <laughs> You missed that one? Yeah. Yeah, So so when mum is going through possessions and Greg, as Jim, goes to try to hide the, the photo by covering it, he puts a calendar on top. And uh, it's revealed, I think it's called Men on Fire or something. Oh, uh, um, yep, yep. Yeah, flips open and we see a gorgeous uh, fireman holding a kitten. <laughs> I think it is. And at one stage, it's, you know, w- ripping up the calendar. A part of the, the, the model's moustache yep. uh, is, is over Jim's face. <laughs> I, I remember the bit now, yes, yes. Yeah, which is really cute. We also, and probably the most significant part of this film, is... We have a same-sex kiss, um, and that is between Greg and Manuel. They are a, a a beautiful, normal, loving, healthy couple at the end. They can truly be themselves. Mm. Um, and that was really sweet to see. Happy moving day! Ah! What are they doing here? I don't know, but you gotta go. I'll call you later, okay? Tell them. So, Philip, what are your final thoughts and your score out of five for Out? So, this is definitely a beautiful piece, a wonderful, colourful piece, well presented, well drawn, well performed, and such an amazing message. I love that it shows both sides of the story, because a lot of people would turn around and say, no, you've just got to focus on uh, Greg's story. Hmm. But it shows a little bit of Manuel's... It shows the mother's side, and, and like you were saying before, the, the burden of heteronormativity, where it, it, it's it's her, she's trying to f- struggle with her mother instincts to say, hey, everything's okay, everything's going to be all right, and her going, no, I can't just do this to him. He's got to be able to take his time and do what he needs to do. So I love that this eight-minute piece... Something where I'm sure you and I have thought about pieces that, you know, okay, we've got, it's going to take me an hour just to get through the, the, the first concept of uh, how am I going to explain this. 
they do the whole shebang in eight minutes or just under nine minutes. How amazing is that? Yeah. I love this piece. Five out of five. Nice one. Well, it's no surprise, Phil, that I also love this movie. What a wonderful film for us to be discussing in Pride Month. What a wonderful film for Pixar to produce and for Disney to distribute on their online platforms. What a wonderful story for people of all ages to engage with and experience. It's relatable. It is aesthetic perfection. It is heartwarming. It's multidimensional. It's so layered and yet so simple as Mm. well. It is a work of art and it is a groundbreaking piece of animation. I love the story this tells. I want to know more about these characters. I want to revisit Greg and Manuel. Mm. But if this is the only story we have of them... I'm perfectly okay with it because Mm. Stephen Hunter does such a great job of encapsulating these characters, this world, and the complexities of Mm. what this narrative has to say. What a beautiful family he has presented on screen. For nine minutes, it says, does, tells, and shows a lot more than most movies do within a two-hour gestation. Yes. Five stars. Wouldn't have thought of anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for our Pride Month special. Please do see out. It is absolutely gorgeous if you haven't seen it already. Happy Pride, everyone. Happy Pride. I've been a Philip Hunting. And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And And you've you've just just experienced experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Happy Pride, Phil! Hey! Hey. (laughs) And insane. Blooper reel. You wouldn't be drawn in like Pixar. In, in, in only the only. Ah. In. Um, comfort in Pep's. Pep. Mm. Sorry. There is that, and I know that there's. Um, psycho- um, but they're still giving somebody the respect and the trust to tell a story. And I just absolutely love that. It does make me want to see. Sorry, Wayne, I've lost you. You're going to have to... Oh, shit. One moment. Sorry, mate. No, you're okay, buddy. It shows the mother's side and her, like you were talking about, with the uh, heteronormative fuck. Um, what was this phrase you used? Um, uh, heteronormativity or burdens? Burden. Burden. Yep. Okay. Philip, it's been so much fun discussing this fantastic it film with has. you. Thank you for having me. Oh, um, thank you for oh, having that's, you. That's yeah, so I, bad. I, I, okay. I, 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 <laughs> okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my whole sign off again. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking because like, you're, you're hosting. <laughs> I think thank you for bringing it to me was what you were thinking. Yeah. <laughs>
You don't have to say that, mate. Deleted scene. One of the things I suppose that I question, and this is not a critique on the film, but rather its uh, streaming service, is that the film's rated PG. And this says a lot, I think, about where we are in terms of a society. Because I argue that if Greg and Manuel were heterosexual, or one was female, and mm-hmm. the secret was something else, it wasn't about one's sexuality, this film would easily be rated G because mm. it is sweet, it is tender, it's it's funny, it's colourful. It's it's hard though, and, and the reason I'm gonna bring up the difficulty here mm. is because of what Sesame Street did with a load of old episodes. Mm. Which was bring them out in DVD packs but stamp on them adults only. Mm. And the reason I say that is is because you watch them now, and as adults we go, that's fine, but they've determined that it's not good for children now. Now, the reason I'm sort of tippy-toeing around this is more so... I think that shows like Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, I'm just trying to think of anything that has a kiss, um, <laughs> Ariel, yeah. Ariel, I actually think they should be rated PG today. The mm. re-rated PG today because, to me, PG it, it, it's a it's about it's similar in the gaming world. We had this big controversy about the fact that Australia does didn't or still might not have I'm not sure, but didn't have an R rating for video games. Right. But what companies were doing were just editing the game for the Australian release just enough to make it MA fifteen. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the, the second highest rating. But then you play the game and you go, yeah, this should still be an R game. It's like it's it's just dulled down enough to annoy people that are actually buying it to enjoy it, but mm. really still too harsh for people that would be buying M15 games. So it's like, just give us the R so that we can have a, have a proper idea of what our, what we're buying our children. Mm. You know, I mean, like there, there were parents, there were there were EB Games employees begging parents not to let their kids buy uh, Mortal Kombat because mm. they were buying fifteen-year-olds Mortal, the newest Mortal Kombat at the time, which really should have had an R rating, but because of a technicality and some editing, got just over the line of the M. But if it had an R rating, then we know who is allowed to buy this. And this is where I sort of sit back and go that we actually should reevaluate a lot of those sort of things. To me, yes, a, a, a kiss and talking about sexuality and talking about that sort of thing should be PG, but I actually think it shouldn't just be, you know, of queer media. It should be of a lot of media that we've had in the past. Well, I think in terms of out, I look at the context of what the discussions are. There really isn't an open discussion about sexuality. The sexualities of our protagonists and of everyone in this film are established. Mm. But so what? Any Mm. movie that you see, any TV series that you see, sometimes even still images that you see, we have cultural codes that tell us what the sexual orientations of the people depicted are. 
a kiss between a couple that are dating, that are boyfriends, is that really so uncommon? Do we not have married couples kissing each other on the cheek or just a peck on the lips? But again, this is where I feel that it's less to do with the norms and more to do with what those ratings should mean. To me, a G rating should be Blue's Clues, Paw Patrol, Peppa Pig. It should be for things, Sesame Street, things that do not... And even some episodes of Sesame Street should be PG. But it should be for things that are for children children does that make sense oh it makes sense and i understand the problem is that the the rating system has become too political it's become too oh well what audiences will i be allowed to show this to when it really should be there just to let parents know again i think all kissing all hugging all that sort of thing to a degree should be i'm not saying censored that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying it needs to be oh banned on our screens but again to me, that is something where potentially, not me personally, but potentially I might turn around and say, I don't want to see my five-year-old seeing a heterosexual kiss. I want to be able to have that knowledge to know what's going on here. Do you sense? Th- I understand where you're coming from, and I understand that you're saying, well, this is what I think it should be, and based on your feedback, out should be rated PG, based on your perspective and feedback. However... Okay, based it on is, what it is now? Based on what the reality is, mm, should if be this, yeah, if they were heterosexual or if we were talking yeah. about a hetero- heteronormative story, it would not have gotten a PG for mild mm. themes, whatever the hell that means. Yeah. I, and I, I also, again... yeah, and I was going to say, and also, I, I appreciate that, Philip, if you had children, for, for example, you might be like, well, I don't particularly want my five-year-old seeing anybody show affection in terms of kissing or a peck on the cheek. Mm. That argument is fine, but it is only consistent if there is no displays of affection within the home. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I think it's again less of yeah, that's an extreme view, but mm. I think it's more of knowing that if mm. that makes sense. I, I don't want I, I don't want I want to I want to be able to turn around and say, okay, this is PG and it's telling me on the box that, you know, people kiss, cool. I'm fa- I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. Let's do this. Mm. Because I do think, I personally, again, this really comes down to personal, so I know I'm derailing slightly, but I really want to get this off my chest. I'm actually someone that believes strongly that everything needs to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I get tired of hearing about, you know, uh, 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 kids, young kids discovering their bodies or whatever. You hear this on fucking um, parent forums and stuff and parents getting shocked and appalled. And no, that's a conversation piece. That's a let's talk about this piece. I get tired that you're right. To me, the fact that heterosexual displays and unions and all that sort of stuff is norm and just thrown out on TV. That to me is one of the big issues with why we're at where we are and why we're looking at a piece like this and going, Oh, how amazing and how wonderful. And whereas you're right, it should just be normal. Mm. But to me, that's because 
nobody thinks twice about it. If you had on there PG and people going, why is it PG? Oh, because two, you know, a, a man and woman kiss and they go, wait, what? It might wake them up to the fact that, hey, we do need to talk to our kids about things and say, hey, there is no norm. There is no one way or normal way and then other. Mm. It's just all. Well, again, it's... that's what pisses me off. Sorry. Yeah, no, don't be sorry at all. But I actually think it's also then reflective of what we were saying earlier about the burdens on yes. some of the characters here. Yeah, we should be having conversations, but we are so ingrained mm. in in society that heteronormativity seems to be the only way or that we automatically raise our children in a heteronormative manner. Now, I'm not saying to raise your children in a certain way or, you know, this, that or the other, but I'm saying that if you have it in your mind that a heteronormative manner is the exclusive way to raise a child, whether you're acknowledging that or not, that is problematic for Mm. everyone. And we do this with our children because whenever an alternative is presented, we have the argument, oh, just let kids be kids. Stop complicating (laughs) things. Stop putting adult things and situations onto children. You're the one doing that by saying, let kids be kids, right? Yeah. So let kids be kids. If the boy wants to play with a Barbie doll, let him play with a Barbie doll. That's it. We gender the toys, right? That's it, exactly. If the girl wants to, you know, be a tradie and spend her whole time with her older brothers or with dad or with her uncle or with the neighbors working on on engines and cars and things like that, let her. Yeah. Again, because we are so enforcing these gender stereotypes and constrictions, it re-emphasizes a heteronormative mindset and culture that then makes coming out a necessity. Mm. Yes. For some people, or for most, I should say, and the burdens associated with that. There's one part of me that says I can't believe we got so political, but Philip, there's another part of me that does is not surprised whatsoever. Not at all, man. I'm not surprised at all. But in saying that, good films, good yeah. stories bring up these issues. This is a nine minute movie, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, based on that, Philip, your final thoughts and a score out of five for out. <laughs> 